was sitting down and just, just reading last night and praying, reflecting. We had worship music on in the house. And it was just kind of one of those nights where um, even for us, the past probably month and a half, two months, has been really, really hectic for us. And so um, if you know my family at all, one of the things that we started doing in 2021 was um, really instituting uh, the Sabbath in, into our week. And so for us, it would start Friday evening and it ends at Friday or Saturday evening. So Friday evening from 6 p.m. till Saturday evening at 6 p.m., um, our family would uh, engage in a pretty, like, for lack of a better term, strict Sabbathing. And what that looked like for us is technology would go away and... Uh, in these moments, like we would, like we feast and the kids pick dinner on Friday night and pick the movie. And it's like, it's family time. It's hangout. And we go all the way through Saturday um, to Saturday to 6 p.m. And uh, we didn't do anything except focus on each other, focus on God. And that, that's, our, that's our Sabbath. And then 6 p.m. Saturday night, we break and we get ready for Sunday morning. But it's been a great, great time of focus for us. So we come into Sunday ready to go. Well, past few months, it's that's been difficult reality for us, that type of, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You have your goals and then things get in the way. Come on, somebody. And so we, this Saturday, I was like, okay, we're going to, we're just going to get back into it. So yesterday, technology, I put my phone the furthest away from me I could. We had worship music on um, and we were just focusing on things. So I sat down and I started reading and uh, was reading in a particular scripture. And last night as I was sitting there just praying and reading through this, I really felt God just kind of prompt me and lead me to, uh, honestly just share what I was reading last night and uh, some observations that I want to make um, that I think are really important heading into this, this new year. So I'm going to pray and we're going to dig right in and I hope that you can just kind of hear, uh, hear God's heart in and through this, these verses that I'm going to read today. Does that sound good? And so um, we're not going to have scripture because I totally um, are one of, one, of the, one of our staff members who does all of my notes and gets ready for screen. I went over to her today and I was like, I'm so sorry because she worked at 11 pages of notes that she worked through. And so she did all this stuff to get it ready for Sunday. And then I was like, I'm going to do something different. Um, talk to Jesus. Uh, so, um, but we won't have that. So if, uh, if you need a Bible, just go ahead and take the, take the Bible from the person next to you. Um, that, they don't need it, you need it. So just grab it from them. And uh, we're going to do this, this old school. But uh, would you just pray with me before we jump, in, jump into Scripture today? Jesus, we need your voice right now. God, I ask you to speak to us. I ask that you would move in this place. You already are moving, God. But I ask um, that you would just, as we, as we wander through Scripture today, as we look at this narrative, as we look at this piece, this amazing story, and how you engage with your disciples, God, would you just speak to us right now? Would you teach us? Uh, would you change us? Would you transform us? Would your voice be the loudest in the room right now? Uh, would it overwhelm and override every other voice that might be in our ears or in our heart right now? Where there's uh, self-talk happening and doubt happening and situations and circumstances, God, would your voice override all of that? Would it overrule all that? Would your voice be the dominant voice in this house today? And so I thank you for, for your voice, that you are speaking to us and that you are teaching us. So would you speak clearly and profoundly right now? In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Um, show of hands, how many of you love road trips? Road trips, where are my road trip people at? Awesome. Uh, our family, I've never really liked road trips. Uh, mainly driving long distances with my kids is the reason behind that. Um, 
and it gets, it gets wild and out in, in our car. Um, parents, for the parents in the room, how many of you know, like, the minute you get into the car with your kids, like, you're, like, 15 minutes in, Pastor Dave knows what I'm talking about, 15 minutes in, your kids are like, are we there yet? Can I watch a movie? Can you turn this song on? Can we do this? And it's like, guys, we've only been driving for 15 minutes. We've got 10 hours ahead of us. So we started defining lengths of time in movies. So the kids are like, how long till we get there? We're like, seven movies. <laughs> Think about that, yes. Se- seven movies, that's how long till we, till we get there. And uh, road trips fascinate me because it's on road trips that you have these beautiful, like how many of you have had like deep and profound conversations on road trips? And then other times there's arguing. No one wants to admit that, come on. Come on, there's arguing, the kids are in the back, or you're like, you guys, and deep, so it's, it goes deep and meaningful, and then it's frustrating, and then there's just like nothing, right? Mainly when you're driving through Idaho, there's nothing. And so there's these moments that like, that happen on, on road trips, and, and it kind of goes, like there, there's just this kind of beautiful cadence, if you will, to a road trip. So there's up moments, down moments, there's good moments, there's bored moments, there's frustrating moments. How many of you would agree with me? Life is really one big long road trip. It's one big long road trip. I love the reflective parts of, of road trips though, because there's some, some deep work that happens. Some of our best conversation, Eric and I's best conversations as a, as a married couple, as, as leaders, as people um, wanting to, to experience God's best have happened in, in road trips. We don't walk anymore, we drive everywhere we go, praise the Lord. But I wanna, I wanna highlight a, a road trip, if you will, for two disciples specifically. They didn't have a car, they didn't, they didn't have a plane, they didn't have trains or automobiles. Some of you will get that. That was, that was a rat, that was a, just a tee up right there. Some of you have no idea what you just witnessed. All right, so. Planes, trains, and automobiles. It was a movie. Go look it up. Okay, so. But these two disciples are going are gonna to walk. They're going to take a walk. And it's on this journey that some really interesting things happen that I think, um, that I know are really important for us as a people today. And that God wants to encourage us with. So if you're taking notes today, I want you to, I want you to write this at the top of your paper, on your phone, or however you're taking notes. This is the title of the message today, Seven Mile Reflections. Seven Mile Reflections. And there's some profound work that's going to be done in the lives of these two disciples and eventually 11 more because of a seven mile walk. And that's really where I want to take us today. So Luke chapter 24, verse 13 is where we're going to land today. Luke 24, verses 13. We're going to read to about 50, 53. Does that work with everybody? And it says this, now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. There it is right there. Now, in order to understand what we're actually jumping into in this piece of scripture, you gotta understand what happened three days before. Three days before their seven mile walk to Emmaus, they lost everything. You ever been there before? These disciples weren't just taking a seven mile walk because they wanted to take a seven mile walk. 
They were taking a seven-mile walk because they were trying to get away from where they had been three days previous. These disciples were walking because they wanted to turn their back to what they had just experienced. These disciples were walking to Emmaus. They were walking seven miles because they needed to get away from where they had, had been, the place they lost everything. It's interesting that the place that they lost everything was actually the very place where they gained everything, and that was the foot of the cross. But isn't it interesting how different perspectives afford us different ways of understanding things? See, you and I have the privilege to open up Scripture right now, and if if you just need a news flash, you want to know how the story ends, we win! That's an interesting perspective to have. But these disciples, they didn't have that perspective. They had a seven-mile journey of hopelessness. Seven miles to consider what it is that had just happened to them. Seven miles to think about all the promises that had been laid out by Jesus' mouth, only to seemingly come to ruin and destruction upon his death and burial. Seven miles. I don't know if you've ever been on that type of journey before, but you're walking away from something and you take all the time to consider what that something that you're trying to get away from is. You know what's interesting about coming to church is that some of us have that seven mile journey between the car and the front doors. Come on, am I talking to anybody in church today? It's, it feels like seven miles from getting out of your car into walking into this auditorium. And it's seven miles of thinking about, man, what, did, what just happened? What am I going through? And it's seven miles till you get into this place. And then Devon jumps up here and starts, come on, let's put our hands together and go for it. And you're like, you don't know what my seven miles has been like. Seven miles of reflection. And so they're walking, walking. Verse 14, this is what happens on their little journey. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing, and the Bible tells us about their humanity and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Now, there's a lot of discourse that we can make on this. There's a lot of conjecture that we can create. But isn't it interesting that when we're sitting in the middle of hopelessness, many times we don't recognize Jesus in the midst of it? Isn't it interesting when we're trying to walk this seven-mile journey that much of what we thought that we knew about him isn't recognizable because it doesn't look the way that we wanted him to look? So they didn't see Jesus. So what's interesting about this story, if we just kind of add a little bit of conjecture, is that these disciples are about to open up to a man they had no clue who he was. And they start talking about their story. They start working through what had happened. Verse 17. Then he asked them, this being Jesus, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? So he wants to articulate it. You ever been in that place before where you know that like you, what's in your heart, you got to give to him, but it's hard sometimes. And they stopped walking. Listen to this. What is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Here's the first truth that I want us to understand is that humanity offers us the ability to be discouraged by the previous season. 
Come on, anybody with me today? There's two types of people in this, well, three types of people in this room, which as a pastor and as a communicator of God, God's word is really difficult at times because for some of us, and this is why the Bible would say, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. For some of us, we're in the room today and we are weeping. It's been a hard couple years. It's been a hard couple weeks. So we weep with those who weep. Come on, somebody. But then there's another group of us in the room that are rejoicing. So it's, it's kind of a little bit, it's this weird juxtaposition because we're in this room, we're like, man, life is going awesome. Everything is great. Everything's feeling good. So we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. There's always a duality in the sanctuary. And then there's some of us maybe sitting in the spot where we're just kind of indifferent. And so for me to preach a message about seasons that have been bad or seasons that have been good, you can see how there's these lines that are constantly crossing each other and it can get a little bit chaotic sometimes. But I want us to anchor in for just a moment that these disciples, they looked discouraged. It was in their countenance. It was in their shoulders. It was in their eyes. Have you ever seen somebody like that before? Has that person been you as you've stared in the mirror? Man, I look tired today. Am I, am I talking to anybody today? <laughs> Man, these bags are bigger than they used to be. <laughs> so we walk into church and, oh, we'll try to pretend like nothing's going on. And then some of us don't pretend, we just, everything's going on. Which is good, I love it. That's what church is for. But I love this. And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. This is, this is why I want you to see the pause in their seven-mile journey. They're walking. They're talking. They're arguing. They're, they're going, through, I can't believe that man. Like, like, can we just put some humanity in? I can't believe he died. He told us everything was going to be all right. He, 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 told, he told us that, that we, we were going we to see something new. There's all these, these promises and there's all these things. Like, why did he... Why did he break bread with us? Why did he drink wine with us? Why did he do those miracles? I mean, didn't you see him? Eyes, eyes were opened. Like, what do you mean he's dead? He, he brought people back from it. You remember Lazarus? That was nuts. This is how we have to read the Bible because so many times we gloss over the humanity of what's there. Man, remember that leper that he, he, he embraced? You're not supposed to embrace lepers. That was cool. Remember the first party trick he did? Water into wine? This is the seven mile conversation. And so Jesus, unrecognizable, enters into the fray and says, what are you guys bothered by? What, what's, what's frustrating you? And they stopped walking and were discouraged. That's where some of us are at today. We've stopped walking and we're discouraged. And I get it, trust me. I understand that. But then it continues on, it gets even more real. Verse 18, the one named Cleopas answered him, and I love this, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? In other words, do you not know what is happening right now? Where have you, where have you been? So then he goes on to, to explain these and this is what verse 19 says. This is what Jesus goes. What things? Jesus is savage. Come on, guys. 
And I wonder if he did it with like a little smile on his face, right? They're sitting, he's like, do you not know what things have happened? And Jesus is like, what things? What are you talking about? Watch how they answered what things he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Here's what I love about their discouragement, is it still causes them to declare who he is. And I'm just wondering if we can be the type of people that in the midst of our discouragement, we can still declare who he is. That's what I find fascinating about that. Like, he's like, what things? Jesus sets them up. That's what I love. What things? What are you talking about? And they're like, you know, that guy, Jesus of Nazareth, the, the prophet, the powerful one, the, the one that was supposed to do all that, Jesus, do you not know him? So it's almost as Jesus baits him into making a declaration. And I hope for us we get baited into making a declaration. Because I just want us to understand that the moment and the point of our discouragement is often the very same place that our declaration is going to take place. I may be discouraged, but I'm declaring who he is. I may be downtrodden, but I'm declaring who he is. I may be dismayed, but I'm declaring who he is. Come on, do I have some discouraged people in the house today? (laughs) This is what is sometimes wrong with our Christianity. Sometimes our Christianity tries to make everything happy. But many times it's in our happiness that we miss our declaration. Rather owning the discouraging place so that we can make a declaration of who he is. Here's why they were discouraged, it goes on to tell us. Verse 21, but we were hoping. Come on, show of hands, participation moment. How many, of, how many of us have ever uttered those words before? But I, I was just hoping. I, I, was just, I, I was hoping. I was hoping that that wouldn't be the diagnosis. I was hoping we were gonna be able to make this happen. I was hoping that he was going to come through. I was hoping that we were going to make just one more sale. I was hoping. I was hoping. I was hoping. I've uttered those words many times this year. Far more than I would have liked to. So I got to just be real in my humanity. I know the seven miles to Emmaus. I've been on that road. I'm on that road. And sometimes I've got to just stop and go, I was hoping. Come on, anybody else with me on that? I was hoping. <laughs> you look back at 2021, I was I was hoping. Just because you were hoping doesn't mean that you need to stop hoping. So we've got to keep hoping. But remember, there's a a difference 
and hoping in stuff and things and hoping on the one who has risen from the grave. So this is not a New Year's resolution message. I'm not gonna give you seven keys to go with every mile in the seven miles. Gosh, that would have been amazing. Right, little seven mile markers, first mile. Number one. No, I'm not gonna do that one. What we are gonna do though, is understand that there's power in the seven mile walk to Emmaus. There's something that God wants to do in, in, in the journey. So we were hoping, now watch, watch this, listen to this. We were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group, now they're just kind of like, just kind of spouting off now. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. You see, you hear the disbelief, the discouragement that I was hoping and because I was hoping and it didn't pan out the way that I wanted it to, now my perspective is changing. Come on, somebody. So he said to them, now I want you to picture this. Can we just like enter into a realistic moment for a second? This next statement that comes out of Jesus to these disciples, I want you to hear how savage it is. It's ruthless. How foolish and slow you are to believe all the prophets have spoken. <laughs> Could you imagine if you were walking at City Creek later this afternoon, you and your buddy or friend or your spouse, and you're walking in the middle of City Creek, and somebody, some random person just comes strolling in with you, inserts themselves into your conversation, and you start talking about all the things that 2021 has looked like for you, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they're like, how foolish and slow you are. <laughs> Be like, sir, I don't know you, but I'm going to punch you in the throat, so... <laughs> how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken watch verse 26 listen to this wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory here's the observation I want to make for us and the truth that I want us to hear today is that every season no matter what the season is is necessary Come on, everybody turn to your neighbor right now and be like, it was necessary. Come on, turn back to your neighbor and be like, you don't know myself. <laughs> it was necessary. Every season that we walk through in life is necessary. Good ones, bad ones, indifferent ones. Every season is necessary. How many of you guys would agree with me that we have a tendency though to place like a, a greater degree of love on the seasons that are good. We deem them as more necessary, don't we? We're like that bad one, you're like, sure, Jason. Okay, cool, I'll just get with you. We'll be spiritual for a second. Every season's necessary. But we really like the good ones. We're like, necessary? That was definitely necessary. But every season's necessary. 
So Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, everything that you just went through, everything that you're complaining about, everything that you're, you're staring down, it, it was necessary. Verse 27, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Here's what I want us to hear this morning, very important truth. It is even right here with the disciples that Jesus reaffirms the strength, power, and authority of his word. By going through the scriptures that have been revealed up until that point concerning himself. Church, can I just tell you that into 2022, as we walk into this next season, as your pastor, as your pastors, we are committed more so than ever to make sure that the well is a place that is built and based on this word and this word alone. Some of us have been standing on all kinds of different words. We've been standing on 140 character words that we see on Twitter. Some of us have been standing on Instagram words. Some of us have been standing on Facebook words. Some of us have been standing on CNN words and Fox News words. Some of us have been standing on the words of naysayers and doubters and unfaith-filled people. But can I just tell you that this house right here is gonna stand on the word of God and the word of God alone. The house of God is not built on opinions and on fear and all these different things. The house of God is built on one word and it's the word that stays through it all. It's the word that has held all things together since the beginning of time. It's his word, it holds everything in motion. It's his word that tells you that he loves you. It's his word that tells you that he's for you. Oh, come on, shout, it's his word. And he spoke the word and everything came into existence. That's my Big Bang Theory. How'd it happen? He spoke. Oh, come on, somebody, when authority speaks, there's a sound. And it came to be. And it came to pass. And it came to fruition. And the Word dwelt among us. It put flesh on. It strolled with us on seven miles between Jerusalem and Emmaus. The flesh dwelt word walked with you in 2021, and he will walk with you in 2022. Seven miles to Emmaus. Verse 28, they came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was gonna go farther. But they urged him, stay with us. Stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with him. Here's what I hope to be our declaration for 2022 is the declaration of stay with us. For some of us, we need to reaffirm our invitation 
to Jesus to rule and reign in our life. Because for some of us in this last season, we said, can you just go? And for many of us in this room today, we need to once again say, can you stay? I need you to rule my heart, my mind, my life, my will, my emotions, my relationship, my business, my, my, my parenting. Come on. Someone shout stay. Stay with us. Verse 30. It was as he reclined at the table with them. I love it. When Jesus stays, he reclines. It's not formal. Kicks his shoes off. He reclined at the table. Just one, like, if you don't understand culturally in this moment, I've been accused of doing this a lot as I speak, but it just, for the sake of the illustration, when they reclined at a table, after the, <laughs> this is how Guys, it's the third service. I'm really actually just chilling right now. <laughs> they, they reclined. They, they ate together. We were at a restaurant the other night for our anniversary. We celebrated 17 years on January 1st. <laughs> we're still hot for each other. <laughs> so I, I have... Personally, this is my most favorite like position to be in anywhere that I'm sitting. I like to just recline. And so we were in this restaurant, and I was, and it was a nice, it was a nice restaurant. And so they sat us next to each other in the booth. And I typically don't like sitting next to her at restaurants. I want to be across from her, so I always kind of turn it down. But this was the only like option, and it was they were beautiful seats. And so we just were eating and hanging out. We got towards the end of the meal, and so I started the slow decline. <laughs> Into, into my seat and she's like do you want them to feed you grapes or something like what are you what are you doing and I was like these chairs were made for reclining so when when we when he stays see that that, that reclining that he does at the table with them was intrusive it's personal there's no, there's no bubbles of space. Come on, I know some of you walk into church today, you have your eight-foot bubble. Don't talk to me, don't touch me, don't look at me. I came in here to be anonymous. Did you know Jesus does not come into your life to be anonymous? Many of us want an anonymous Savior. He's not an anonymous Savior. He's not somebody that whispers from the backdrop of your life. Oh, no, 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 no. When I say yes to Jesus, he invades every space if I will let him. He's not anonymous. Stop seeking an anonymous savior. Ask him to stay and recline at the table of your life. So he hangs out. And it was that this table that he reclined with them and he took bread and he blessed and broke it and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. 
but he disappeared from their sight. Here's what I want us to see today. Fresh revelation is predicated upon intentional communion. When you stay, allow him to stay. Oh, come on, somebody. He reveals himself to you. And he affirms once again who he is. Their eyes were opened. Come on, is there anybody in this house today that wants to just have their eyes reopened to the goodness and the glory of God? Oh, come on, anybody thankful for Jesus today? This is my favorite part of their seven-mile journey. Their eyes were open. And they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Then they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Weren't our hearts ablaze as he spoke to us? And I just got to tell you, this year as we head into 2022 and we walk through the, the, the content that we're going to walk through and the scripture that we're going to read and the stuff that, that is going to happen as a church, I pray with everything that we are that we can get to the end of 2022 and go, was my heart not aflame as his word was declared over my life? I don't know about you, but I want to burn again. And here's the problem with some of our faith right now is that our faith is more of a burden than it is a burning. Some of us are holding on to our faith like, oh, you know, I'm just doing this Christianity thing. You know, it's just kind of like, I, I, I talk about it sometimes. It's kind of working for me. I don't get everything I want all the time, but you know, it's a burden. I don't know about you, but I don't want burden-type faith. I want burning-type faith. I want the type of faith that when I walk into a room, like it changes things because I'm so lit up with God's goodness. I'm so ready and stirred by what is in his word. And when I get into his word, all of a sudden it comes alive and I'm tearing Why I'm burning? Jeremiah would say like this, it's like this fire shut up in my bones. People ask me a lot, they're like, why do you shout so much? It's because I want to be T.D. Jakes. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but I mean, come on. I've got really good friends in here, people I've known for 15, 16, 17 years who put up with my nonsense. <laughs> my personality is my personality. But I gotta tell you, the reason I shout when I preach is because there's a fire in my bones. <laughs> and I don't say that with hyperbole, and I don't say that for emotional collateral, and I don't say that to 
to, to create some sort of hype. I just need you to know that my goal as your pastor this year is to help light a fire in you for his word. If we could be, oh, come on, if we could be the type of disciples that on our seven-mile journey to Emmaus, we can say of ourselves, was not our hearts ablaze as the scriptures were open to? Were we not set on fire because of his voice and his presence in our lives? That's the type of fire that rubs off on people. I want my kids to light on fire. <laughs> so my son last night, as I was reading, praying, he comes over. My son's awesome. He's like, um, he's the kid, everything's excited, everything's great, right? His words right now are like, that's epic. That's cool. That's sick. Everything we heard is he opened up prayer. That's sick. I'm like, well, it's a t-shirt. Um, it's got no immune system, but sure. It's sick. So he comes over, I'm sitting at the table, and he plops down and he goes, Dad, what are you doing? And I thought for, for a second to try to explain this to him, I was going to go cerebral. Say, well, son, I'm, I'm studying the scriptures and I'm writing down what it is that I'm reading. But I didn't say that to him. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this a teaching moment for my son. And I said, well, I believe that God's speaking to me right now about some things from his word. And I want to make sure that I capture it. And I was hoping like this is just going to be a deep, profound moment. He's like, cool. And then <laughs> walks away. <laughs> what, was I, what was I trying to get him to understand? I was trying to get him to understand that there's a difference between a cerebral approach and a relational approach. See, the word of God was never meant to give us big heads. It was meant to give us burning hearts. Some of us have been seeking big heads. And we haven't allowed our heart to catch a blaze. See, a big head doesn't tame the pride. A big head doesn't drop the ego. A big head doesn't transform you, but a burning heart will. I'm going to stop there today. But it would go on to tell us that they would return. They found the other 11, told them what had happened. and Their seven-mile journey of discouragement would ultimately kindle the flame that would be known as the church. To which the church would be given the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And as this service remembers from a few weeks back, it started with a fire. 